Hello, my name is Eileen Tottle. I am the head of the Secretariat of the Preparatory Committee of the Unified Patent Court. Welcome to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 76 of IP Fridays. This week we have a very interesting interview guest, Eileen Tottle, who is serving as the head of the Secretariat of the Unified Patent Court, and she knows all the ins and outs of the rules of the Unified Patent Court, and she will tell us more about the procedure and all the upcoming important deadlines and timelines. But before we jump into this interview, Ken tells us about a new trademark for the scent of Play-Doh in the U.S. Rolf, the children's toy modeling compound known as Play-Doh, has been keeping kids busy around the world for decades. Consumers, both young and old, are familiar with the putty-like substance, which is used to form creative objects and figures using a whole host of accessories. Now, the manufacturer of the toy, Hasbro, wants to widen their ownership on the toy's intellectual property through their recent filing of a federal trademark application with the United States Patent and Trademark Office covering the scent of Play-Doh. According to USPTO records, Hasbro filed a use-based trademark application entitled Non-Visual Play-Doh Scent Mark on February 14, 2017, claiming first use in interstate commerce dating back to September 12th 1955. What exactly does Play-Doh smell like? The owners of the mark boil it down to this. A unique scent formed through the combination of a sweet, slightly musky, vanilla-like fragrance with slight overtones of cherry and the natural smell of a salted, wheat-based dough. How do you handle a specimen for a scent? Well, the process requires sending an actual product to the USPTO, which contains the scent that is subject of the trademark application. And that's exactly what Hasbro did. According to a single piece of paper marked specimen, the specimen is, is described as a container of Play-Doh, modeling compound having the scent will be sent via overnight mail to the United States Patent and Trademark Office upon filing of this application and receipt of a serial number for referencing. A subsequent transmittal letter is on file with the USPTO, showing that the product was sent to the USPTO. Sent trademark applications are subject to USPTO review under Section 1202.13 of the TMEP. That section is entitled Scent, Fragrance, or Flavor. According to this section, open quote, the scent of a product may be registrable if it is used in a non-functional manner, close quote. The section cites to a case from 1990 entitled In Ray Clark, 17 USPQ 2nd, 1238, which held that the scent of plumeria blossoms functioned as a trademark for sewing thread and embroidery yarn. 
If a scent serves a utilitarian purpose, such as perfume or air freshener, the application to register the scent will be denied. If the scent is not functional, then the inquiry focuses on whether the scent qualifies for registration on the principal register with a claim under Section 2F of the Lanham Act or registration on the supplemental register. In the case of Hasbro's application for the Plato scent, a claim under Section 2F has been included. It is clear from the USPTO that the applicant is going to have to demonstrate that its scent functions as a trademark. According to the TMEP, the amount of evidence required to establish that a scent or fragrance functions as a mark is substantial. A site to In Re Pol Boskamp, GmbH and Co., 106 USPQ 2nd, 1042, from 2013, is cited for this proposition, where a peppermint scent for pharmaceutical formulations of nitroglycerin was denied on the grounds of failing to function as a mark. If you want to follow the prosecution history of Hasbro's trademark application for the scent of its Play-Doh modeling compound, the application has been assigned serial number 87. 335817 and can be viewed online at uspto.gov. For IP Fridays, I'm Ken Suzanne. Thank you, Ken. And now let's jump into the interview with Eileen Tottle of the UPC. I am very excited to be joined by Eileen Tottle today. If you don't know who Eileen is, Eileen is currently the head of the Secretariat of the Preparatory Committee of the Unified Patent Court. And previously, she was project manager at the UK Intellectual Property Office for the Task Force for the UPC. Thank you for being on the show, Eileen. Hi, Rolf. Thank you for having me. On your website, you had posted a notice that the provisional application phase will likely start in May. Um, what would that mean for patent owners? Okay, sure. I, I can explain uh, briefly. Um, so the provisional application phase um, is a, a period of time that will allow us to actually put in some of the corporate functions ahead of the court be, becoming um, operational. So if you can imagine, we need a little bit more than the um, three months that is allowed um, once the 13th ratification has been deposited from the agreement. Um, so essentially, the, the appointment of judges will take a, a lot longer than the three months. So um, the committee agreed, um, uh, and with some discussion with the various um, uh, member states, they would sign up to a protocol uh, which would allow the court to have some legal basis prior to the ratifications um, being deposited and would allow us to begin setting the court up. So this period of time um, uh, is, a, is roughly about six or seven months um, and will begin uh, in, in May this year, hopefully, May 2017. And this will allow um, essentially for the recruitment of judges. Um, we will be able to deploy staff, administrative staff in the various divisions. We will also be able to test the IT system. That is already being done, but it allows us to test it with the staff being in the in the in the various locations. Um, 
And then, of course, we, we can do all various other tests as well. Uh, the other aspect of, of the provisional application is that we will allow um, business, depending on what they want to do about the unitary patent, is, is we will have the sunrise opt-out period in this phase as well. So um, it's quite some quite important milestones in, in the provisional application. So the official estimated date when the UPC opens its doors is December 2017. When, in your personal opinion, will the Unified Patent Court take on the first case? Well, it, it, it largely depends on how business react to this this uh, the, the new the new unitary patent and um, obviously uh, the court has to be uh, in place by then um, so uh, uh, as long as the court is is uh, operational is illegal uh, uh, has a legal identity then um, business can can use can use the court straight away. Uh, as I say, it depends what actions a business want to bring. But um, uh, with everything that is new, it will depend. And it's not mandatory. So um, it will depend how business want to develop the uh, particular IP strategies. We will talk about this later in more detail. But the final rules of the procedure have just been discussed two days ago at the final meeting of the preparatory committee. Right. And um, what will be the major changes that took place uh, with uh, co in comparison to the previously published rules? Okay, so uh, we, we do have um, uh, the latest rules at the moment of procedure are, are, are uh, on the UPC website, um, but we we have. Um, uh, this week had the last preparatory committee meeting, um, and I will talk about that a bit later in this in this podcast. But um, there are some consequential consequential changes uh, that were required to the rules of procedure, um, and these were agreed at this week's meeting of the committee. So. Um, in effect, the, the consequential changes uh, mainly relate to the numbering being uh, adjusted through the rules of procedure um, and to some parts of the um, discussions that have been taking place this year so far about the case management system. So we've had um, we've been going through an exercise where uh, the members of the team have been looking at the rules of procedure and the case management system and making sure that um, both are compatible. So um, when people see things in the, in the rules of procedure, that largely the case management system can cope with um, how, how, the, how the court should operate because, of course, the case management system is, is quite fundamental with how we um, pursue and, and the cases are moved around uh, the court. Now I have a completely different question for you. What would be your recommendation how to minimize the costs when enforcing patents using the UPC? Well, of course, the, the whole system is, is based on trying to reduce uh, translation costs for business. But um, I would not be in a position to advise business how to um, re reduce their costs. And this, I have to reinforce that the unitary patent is, a, is an option for business uh, if it suits their particular particular IP strategy. Um, if they had uh, uh, patents in, in, in lots of member states, then obviously uh, the unitary patent would be much more um, uh, uh, useful to their, their business. Um, 
So uh, I, I wouldn't want to advise too much how to reduce costs, but obviously it's for each individual business to, to look at their own strategies and decide whether the industry patent is, is for them. Um, obviously, for uh, companies at the moment that perhaps don't uh, um, uh, don't file patents in a, in a number of countries because they find the translation costs are um, prohibitive to this. Then they they may actually decide that either now immediately as soon as the UP is available or, or sometime in the future that this opens another avenue for them. So um, whereas before it might have been prohibitive. So uh, I, I think it's it's for business now to look at this new new option um, to protect their, their patents. You just made me curious, uh, how many people will work at the central division in Paris and how many people will work at the central divisions in London and Munich, just for comparison? Um, yes, certainly. The, the, um, the recruitment of um, uh, the, the judges for the, the UPC um, has actually been quoted as the single most fundamental um, uh, aspect that we need to get right, right for the court to, to be successful. So we, we, we hope to attract the very best uh, judges to the court. Um, now, the recruitment process has, um, uh, your listeners may know that we, we had a pre-selection exercise back at the end of 2013. Um, and as just a little bit of background, this was very early on in the um, project. And the um, the, the whole point of, of the pre-selection was to, to get a... a To get a feeling really for for who was interested in becoming a judge um, of this new court, uh, and, and this was actually against the backdrop of uh, people at that time in 2013 saying, you know what, I don't, I'm not sure this will ever happen. Um, so we weren't, we were, we were trying to judge the quality of people who would be interested and how many people. Um, and actually, at that time, we it was over a thousand. It was, I think, it's about. 1200 applications just for pre just for acknowledging some interest so um whilst that was um a, a great source of comfort to us that people were interested um it, it caused us some um uh technical problems because we just weren't we, we weren't equipped to receive so many so many emails but um um and the the, the requests um, basically formed, you know, um, uh, an email saying I'm interested in becoming a judge to um, many people sending in attachments with 13 or 14 attachments of all their certificates. So um, that 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 gave us that gave us a um, you know real comfort that the the people were interested, even though that um, you know against a backdrop of some rhetoric saying no, this court will will never happen. So. Um, What, what we did then was, was fine tune it and we've, we've, we we ha we actually have um, a, a professional recruitment tool that we work with now um, for the recruitment um, and the formal recruitment opened and closed last year, last summer <clears throat> and we have an advisory panel doing some pre-screening of those applications. Um, so what, what we have to do and this is where the provisional application um, phase is really crucial now because we have to appoint the advisory committee who are the members who will then uh, uh, look at the um, applications, will be involved in the interviews um, and that really, we, we have a very short timetable to complete this 
Um, so we are, we are we're working really hard to to make sure we maximise time, and we hope to give candidates as much notice as, as as we can. But it might be a little a little shorter than what they expect when they're called called for interview. Uh, and these interviews um, we are at the moment just now um, planning um, for for. June and July, um, and obviously we, we have to be mindful of the uh, summer period looming then. So, you know, in an ideal wor- world, we would be able to work all the way through July and August, but that's that's probably not going to be um, practical with people on on summer summer break. So. Um, that is the time frame. Then there will be some training in in September and October, and we hope to have um, the the necessary um, people appointed, um, both judges and and uh, support staff, obviously for the beginning of December. So, uh, how is this stuff organised within the UPC? Okay, so the um, structure of the uh, different teams in the different divisions, um, the the basic principle are, is we're we're, we're recruiting um, uh, sort of minimal to be able to scale up, depending on how business react to this. So. Um, It's very difficult when you're introducing something new into uh, the business environment, just exactly how the how how good or, or or not the appetite is for business to take up on something. So, um, what we don't want to do is recruit a mass amount of um, uh, uh, support staff at the beginning um, with them not having anything to do. So, we are we are. The teams will be relatively quite small for this operation in the in the first you know in the first couple of months even. But obviously, if we if we get that wrong, we need to be able to scale that up pretty quickly. So that the whole operation is based on uh, a very centralized function. So there will be the Court of Appeal president based in Luxembourg and the registrar will be based in Luxembourg. Uh, and, then th- and the team there, because the IT will be based there um, and obviously the the main secretariat. So that that team could could at, at, at the thir- early days be around a half a dozen six, seven people. Obviously, we will have teams then where the uh, president of the Court of First Instance is based in Paris and the deputy registrar, and they will have a team. Now, they can... What what they they can do to approach this is is they until we know those individuals, they might have want teams immediately in their location in Paris, which I suspect to be the case, maybe one or two, um, or they could they could draw on the resources from from Luxembourg and to support their work. Obviously, we will have the three main committees of the Unified Patent Court, and they, that, the chairman and those committees also have to be serviced by um, uh, admin support as well, administrative support. So they will definitely be drawn from, from Luxembourg. And obviously then each division in uh, London and Munich, and you know Germany, there are four divisions. So they will have staff at the moment. We know we know London has, has recruited. They have an operations manager. Um, And at the moment, that person will then judge whether to recruit more, as the, as we know how the business is reacting to the to the to the court. And um, uh, you know, if we, as I say, if we if we've got the numbers wrong, at least we're able to scale up very quickly to be able to cope with with um, the work coming through the door. Mm, I understand. Okay, so it's not uh, completely clear yet. You start with a smaller team and see how it will be. 
how the reception will be in the users and then you might scale yes. up quickly, right? Okay. Yes, as, as you say, it's effectively we're, we're setting up a, a, a new business, so we mm -hmm. we yes. we have to make sure that we we are balancing the books and we're not recruiting that have to be paid, um, and the, and there's no work for them to do. So we we just want to make sure we have some some. I think the the key to this is having the the right skills of the people at the moment in these small numbers uh, that can cope with um, what what is needed. And obviously, if if we we need to recruit, then we can we can do so quickly. Right. So, um, what would be your personal estimate? Will many patent owners opt out of the UPC system, or will they embrace the new system, the new court? Well. I do hope, Ross, they embrace the new system. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I, you know, it would be, it would be, um, uh, I think, naive of me to say that. Oh, I, the opt-outs will be very small. Again, I don't. I'm part of the team that will be providing this system, but um, you know, it is essentially how business um, view this, and um, uh, you, you, you know, your users will see from many blogs that um, business has ha, have said, or oh, we will we will opt out, or we will opt out, or we will push a few small numbers through. So. Um, I think in terms of the current environment we're in, this, uh, what I wouldn't want to be is so naive as to get caught out like we did about the judicial recruitment with, um, you know, at the time when I said back in 2013, people were very skeptical about the court and the unitary patterns and it would never take off. Um, and then we had over a thousand uh, uh, expressions of interest. Um, and equally, we, we could have many, many opt-outs or or we could be surprised with the with the small relatively small number of opt-outs um but i'm you know i'm not a gambling person i wouldn't put odds on on how how um business w would react to the opt-outs the, the opt-out function as the sunrise period as i mentioned we hope to be available from september to give business um approximately three months if they if they do choose this route um and but it it will be for business to to decide on that right um in the beginning you already mentioned that you had your uh, last meeting of the preparatory committee um just this past wednesday two days ago basically um in yeah. the hague um can you briefly summarize what you decided um and except that you looked at the near final rules or the most likely final rules um were there any other important decisions made or things discussed so um it was a an important meeting it was a, it was the final meeting uh, it's at, uh, from the from the start of the project when it when this committee uh, had its first meeting back in 2013 It is what it is um, the 19th meeting uh, that we finished on um, on Wednesday in The Hague. So this was uh, uh, deemed the last meeting before we go into provisional application. So it was um, uh, the final opportunity for the committee to hear about the budget as that's being prepared, but also to agree this this final phase was now we, we, the, the website has been updated on the UPC and we've called it a state of readiness because no more can be done now. We're waiting for um Uh, two more countries to sign the protocol for uh, provisional application and obviously the UPC agreement has to be ratified by uh, Germany and the UK. Um, so the protocols are that these These um, final protocols to be signed are the key for the that phase beginning. 
Um, so we were t- we've we've tentative, tentatively marked um, calendars for the inaugural meeting of the administrative committee for the end of end of May. So we we can only that can only only really happen once we we hear from um, uh, colleagues around the table that they've they signed the um, protocol. So um, from discussions on Wednesday, that was the main focus, and we're very confident that we will have um, two more countries to sign that protocol, and then we can be- begin the phase. Um, which obviously the the committees have to meet, which is which will be the administrative committee, the budget committee, and the advisory committee, uh, and they will all have their work uh, set out for them. The advisory committee, I would suggest, is the one with the biggest challenge and the, and the main task over the summer of the um, recruitment of judges. Um, and then we have this um, period of time, the sunrise opt-out period from from September. We would like to give business a full three months to to be able to take up that option if they want. Um, it may, might be a little bit squeezed, but obviously we would we would uh, like to bring the court into operation uh, in in December. So um, it, it might not be a full three months, but that's a, a, an important time for business um, to to know the exact time of that so that they can make their decisions. Um, and then obviously the court will start in in December. So uh, the signals are um, even in the current environment with the um, uh, politics we have at the moment. We we are confident that we will hear from um, uh, two of our, our member states uh, in in the next couple of weeks about the protocol, and then we can we can begin um, a planning. So once we have the provisional application phase. Um, uh, commenced, we can really then start completely um, firming up on our project plans. At the moment, is a it's a little bit difficult because we it's a bit like shooting at a moving target until we can actually make sure we 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 secure the dates for the provisional application phase. So I know that um, you know it's been a little bit frustrating for maybe business to not know exact dates or even for those involved who have applied for the judicial positions um, to not know you know exactly when they can hear things. But I I thank everybody for their patience because it's been quite a difficult task from. The team's point of view, but I do understand as a user or somebody who is is really keen to join the court uh, as a judge um, that it has been a little bit frustrating. But we we are getting we, it was it was a good meeting. We are we are very confident. So um, we we do hope that that May is achievable. Right. I'm I'm also optimistic as a user. <laughs> yeah. What I hear like from different <laughs> sources. <laughs> I mean, the German Parliament just. Um, decided that they go ahead and now it's at the Bundesrat. Uh, yeah. So which is also typically will not deny anything where the parliament said, OK, uh, so I'm very optimistic. And I think in the UK, all the necessary decision makers already most all, I think all of them made their already made their decision, right? All the, in the yes, decision and process. obviously yeah. it's been a difficult it's been a difficult mm-hmm. sort of last seven or eight months since the referendum in the UK for the for the team trying to put this together. But obviously at the Competitiveness Council um, last November in 2016, where mm-hmm. the UK signaled that they would continue with the project, was great news. So um, it, it's it, in in terms of that sort of. Um, uh environment that has been quite difficult we we have we have been really really pleased with with the indications from these from both from from the german um 
government and, and especially the UK. And obviously, our, uh, the German representative on Wednesday signalled that they, you know, they're in a really good position, very confident about the May date being being the the start of provisional application. So that's that's really good. And and just in terms of. Um, Germany and the UK. Obviously, we have numbers now. You know, we're numbers ready for for the UPCA um, in terms of ratification. So we just need those two to um, coordinate the timing of actually ratifying. So I wouldn't want users to think, oh well, I wonder if they will. I wonder if they won't. It is definitely. Um, there is no well there is no uh, um indication that they won't do this we just have to coordinate when that happens because um because they're the final two that is required we have to make sure that um and people say well this won't happen will it but it, one doesn't trigger um the court coming into force by accident <laughs> um because we we then would only have 3 months um, uh, f- before the court became legal, and, and what we we don't want is not to be ready for that. So um, both both Germany and the UK will will coordinate uh, at a time. Um, you know, um, August time is the time that they will actually need to deposit the ratifications to then trigger the the court coming into force, and we, then we would have uh, the the rest of the year, which would mean the beginning of December, the court would be operational. So it's 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 really good news. Everybody is is very confident. So we but we cautiously confident, as they say, um, uh, because we we just need these these two final countries to sign the protocol, and um, and then and then as we say, the hard work begins. <laughs> right. That was a very very interesting interview. Um, for our listeners if our listeners have questions for you um what would be the best way to get in touch with you um so there's a di- if you go on the upc website there's a direct link um that they that any user can just um post their question that will come through to me or it's um uh, eileen.tottle at unifiedpatentcourt.org great um thank you very much for being on the show eileen Thank you, Ro, for having me. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only 
and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.